everybody. Terry Blunt back with you along with Jackson Feltz. Hope you've got great plans for July 4th week. Jackson, what are you going to do on July 4th? Terry, I'm working on July 4th. That makes two of us. <laughs> you, are. you are. I am working the Mariners game. I'm working the Sanders well, game. So. so there you go. So we're both working. Yes, while AP extraordinaire writer Tim Booth is in Russia on his third vodka of the day, I will be filling in for him covering the Mariners game So uh, against the Angels. But that's fun. Really How did we get the it. short end of the stick on this? Why can't everybody just take a day off on, on July 4th? I'm telling you. So Jason Puckett is off this week for July 4th week. He'll be back next week to start his new show with Cliff Averill that we're all looking forward to. I also want to do a shout-out to the gas man who has been with Puckett now for a while and was filling in until the transition of Cliff Averill coming in. And the guy is an absolute radio icon here in the Pacific Northwest, and we can't thank him enough for everything he did here. And I just have so much respect for the guy, and he's so well-liked. And he did a fantastic job, as no surprise there, in his time with uh, Jason uh, in the transition before Cliff comes in. So, hey, we want you to keep your texts coming in at the Harris Distilling text line at 49451. On first, do you think LeBron James is going to win another championship with the Lakers? Why he will or why he will not? Let us know your thoughts on that. I have one uh, Twitter answer here that says he will never make the finals again. He does not have enough talent on this team to defeat Golden State, Houston, Portland, and never count out the Spurs. I even think Denver is getting better. Well, wow. Okay. So we have to wait and see who ends up being there first. Kawhi Leonard. Uh, whether or not he has enough talent to get that done, but that's one. Uh, so here's an interesting one I saw Jackson on our from the uh, from seven two four. Where's seven two four? Sorry, I'll I'll pull it up. I don't right know where that is. Anyway, says LeBron. How does this impact Balmer in the Clippers? Well, Balmer's probably crying right now somewhere in <laughs> over this. Uh-huh. Sure, it impacts them. I mean, Balmer's gone there to, you know, he bought the Clippers trying to make them a, you know, a great team. And now all so many of those parts have moved on. Uh, Chris Paul just signed, by the way, a deal to stay at Houston for the maximum deal for four years, $160 million. LeBron signs with the Lakers for almost the, that much, close to it. So, yeah, it impacts them. They, they were trying to be up with the Clippers, up with the Lakers in L.A., which, by the way, will never happen. I lived in L.A. for two years. I can tell you it's all Lakers all the time. Uh, it, it just doesn't, even when they were bad, really, really bad, it's still all about the Lakers. The Clippers just can't get past that, but it's going to be a whole lot harder now. I mean, it's going to be nothing but Lakers as far as that goes going forward. So, yeah, it definitely impacts them. It it hurts them. So we've got some votes coming in, by the way. I also wanted you to vote on your favorite Cam Chancellor moment, what you thought was your favorite Cam Chancellor moment. And I had four choices on that list. And among them was, of course, the big hit against uh, Demarius Thomas in the Super Bowl. That's one. Another one was him jumping over the line of scrimmage two times in a row on the field goal attempt by Carolina. That's two. Uh, A third one was the 90-yard interception return in that same game against Carolina. Or the big hit against Vernon Davis in the game against the 49ers on Christmas Eve in that dramatic game in 2012. So, uh, yeah, so those are some of the, the choices. By the way, right now, a runaway winner is the hit on Vernon Davis, probably just because 
everyone here hates Santa Clara. Yeah. So, but yeah, sixty-four percent for that right 64%. now. Sixty-four percent. Shocking. Running second, a distant second is the Super Bowl hit on Thomas. Third at ten percent is the ninety-yard return against Carolina. And then I'm surprised that more people didn't pick the jumping over the line of scrimmage thing. I realized those plays, by the neither one of those plays counted. Right, that's kind but of... But a... <laughs> still, that was a situation that actually changed the rules of the league, where you can't do that anymore. Is that what changed it? I think that was a big factor in it, yeah. Interesting. You no longer can do that. You can't jump over the line of scrimmage. He didn't do it once. He did it two times in a row. Right. And he I blocked mean, it the first time and got the penalty and the second time. The second he time. Didn't yeah. Get it, yeah. So my <laughs> goodness. Unbelievable. It shows what a great athlete he was. And uh so that's uh one poll. We also want you to uh send us your thoughts. The Jackson Phelps put this out there on why Paul George decided to stay at Oklahoma City with the dreaded thunder. We all hate the thunder here for obvious reasons. He decided to stay for one choice. He wanted to work on an oil well. Two, dust storms are better than ocean breezes. Three, he loves the old 50s musical Oklahoma. Or four, he just dreams of being a future cowboy and living life on the range. <laughs> the runaway winner at this point with 55% is he dreams of being a future cowboy, riding horses and wearing his hat and just living on the prairie. Maybe he's been watching too much West too much Westworld. Uh, and the others are all really close. The second place vote's going to be close. Yeah. It a dead even right now is dust storms are better than ocean breezes or he loves the musical Oklahoma and then a close fourth is he wants to work on oil wells. So uh keep your votes coming in on the crazy decision by Paul George. Uh, that was my that was my say what? That was my say what. If you're Paul George, <laughs> why wouldn't you just text LeBron and then maybe, well, maybe he did. And maybe Paul maybe George. Maybe he did, yeah. Because if, if, if Paul George, there's two cases. If he knew that LeBron was going to LA, then he's an idiot for not joining him. If he didn't know LeBron was going to LA, then you're an idiot for not finding out. That, yeah. that, that, that should be your key point. And if, 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 unless you don't want to win a championship, I mean, of course. Why wouldn't you want to go win a championship? I don't get it. <laughs> um, I just don't get it. But hey, yeah. to each his own. Whatever, yeah. whatever floats his boat, you know. So here's some responses, by the way, from the 206. LeBron may not make it past the first round of the playoffs. Lance wants the ball just as much as he does, and I don't see them coexisting. Okay, here's another one from uh, Brad on the four, in the 425. Hell no. He will be 34 this coming season, and Father Time is catching up with LeBron before this contract is over. Utah, San Antonio, Houston, Golden State, Portland, Denver, Minnesota. Well, I think all those teams are going to be better than the Lakers. <laughs> I'd like to, Brad, if, if we can uh, make a bet off air, I'd like to make a bet with you that Denver and Minnesota will not have more wins than the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, here's one uh, from the 206. I will bet my two bitcoins. I have no bitcoins. Uh, I will bet my two bitcoins, which is worth about fourteen thousand dollars, <laughs> that LeBron will never win an NBA title again. So uh, not a lot of love for LeBron there, going to Showtime, uh, out to Hollywood. Well, as we talked about in the first hour, it's more of a it's more <laughs> of a media move and his future move than maybe basketball, which is interesting. Well, and you know, there all the reasons. His son's playing out there, playing basketball out there. He has a home in Brentwood. Uh, for those who haven't been through Brentwood, let me tell you, that's a really nice place to live. <laughs> yeah, the next to Beverly Hills, that's a really nice place to live. Um, and you know, he wants to go out there, and he feels like it's a bigger place, a bigger city where he can do more things to be socially aware and all the things that he does in his in his life. So I do give him this much credit. He didn't make this a giant sideshow. 
yeah. like he did when he went to Miami, when he left Cleveland the first time. And ESPN was part of that, of course. They played it up, and, and just he took so much abuse over that, and deservedly so. I think he learned from that. It's a different time in his career. You know, I was talking to Dick about this earlier and saying, uh, when, before we knew where he was going, I said, I really think this time for him it doesn't come down to just the money, and it even doesn't come down just winning another championship. For him, it's about what is the best thing to do for my family. Hmm. I mean, that's where he is in life. You know, he's in his approaching his mid-30s now. He's got two boys. One of them is a very talented teenage player that gets a lot of attention. And uh, I joked the other night, you know, the uh, Friday night game for the for the Mariners was the uh, re- move ahead to the future, look ahead to the future night. Oh, right, it was supposed yeah. to be 2027. It was really fun, cool, wild uniforms and all kind of crazy stuff going on the scoreboard. But uh, I put on Twitter that, okay, so it's 2027. Uh, the Supersonics have just won the NBA title with MVP LeBron James Jr. <laughs> so <laughs> we'd all take that, right? Uh, yeah, I'd sign up for that in an uh-huh. instant, yeah. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have Curtis Crabtree and all his great insights. Stick with us. Sports Radio 950 KJR. Ladies and gentlemen. Coming to you live on Seattle's original diehard sports station. Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Now back to Bucket and the Gas Man. Hi, everybody. Terry Blunt here. Jason Puckett's on vacation for July 4th week. Remember, next week starts his fantastic new show that we're all looking forward to with Puckett and Cliff Averill. So excited to have Cliff Averill join us here at the station. He's going to do a fantastic job, a really great guy. It'll be cool to hear his insights about what's happening with the Seahawks going forward. And speaking of the Seahawks and Mariners and an expert on almost any subject you want to talk about is my partner Saturdays on Blunt Sports Talk, Curtis Crabtree joining us now on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. What's up, Curtis? Terry, how's it going? I'm doing okay. I just want to kind of get your thoughts first on on Cam Chancellor, of course. Uh, you were the one who actually showed me this first yesterday when we were at the Mariners game, showed me his tweet. Um, where does he rank for you and guys that you've covered uh, as a person and as a player? Way up there. Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know how I could – definitively say one way or another, but Cam's in the top group of guys that I covered both from a player standpoint and from a guy uh, in the locker room standpoint. He was, uh, you know, as, as much as Earl was the flashy guy and Richard Sherman was the loud guy, Cam was the guy that kind of brought everything together on the back end of that defense. And certainly his uh, ability to hit as hard as he did and make as many um, impact plays as he did was a big reason why Seattle's defense was as feared as it was over that several-year stretch where they were so good, five, that five-, six-year run where they were at the top of the league just about every season out there. And so he is certainly up there. Certainly I don't think uh, this, this caught us by surprise by any stretch. I think we all felt it was going this way. Um, one way or another due, due to the various stuff that we've kind of seen and heard over the the uh, ensuing months since he first got injured last November. But to, to, to have it finally come down this way, uh, you know, we were all expecting it. It just uh, was time to happen. You know, Curtis, he's such a quiet man. And to have him put that to tweet out that was so deeply personal and so heartfelt, that, that got to me. I mean, you know, there was a lot of things said in there that you could tell this this just breaks his heart to have to do this. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen him 
uh, more emotional. In, I mean, obviously, we couldn't see him, but to write something that much from the heart uh, really said a lot about how hard this has been for him, I think. Yeah, I think so. As much as you can, you know, kind of spill your emotions into a note on your iPhone or that sort of thing, you know, it's, it's kind of tough to get the message across in such a way. But it seems like the words that he cho- chose um, to express himself showed pretty clearly how he kind of went through this whole process and how all things being equal, he wants to keep playing. I think if you ask Cliff Averill and Ricardo Lockett the same thing about their injuries, both of them wanted to keep playing as well. Um, that decision wasn't necessarily in their hands. And, you know, throughout this whole process, you know, I'd heard that, you know, Cam's wasn't quite as definitive, that there was a possibility something could turn there for him, but they needed to wait and see. And obviously um, with Cam saying that they saw no real signs of uh, healing at this point in time from from his injury, that it is what it is. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he got as much across as you could in that sort of a message. Let's talk a little bit about the business side of this. They're going to owe him over $11 million over the next two years. He's not officially retired, of course. He can't do that because of the money involved. He'll be put on the physically unable to perform list. But for you, what does this mean for them moving forward, and do you think it impacts their decision at all in what they do with Earl Thomas? Uh, That's tough to say because I don't think – I mean, the Seahawks have known what the situation is. I don't think they found out a dang thing new yesterday. You know, right. so they've had this entire off season to prepare for where they were going to be at. I think they were all anticipating that this was going to be the route this would end up heading. So I don't know if it affects that decision really at all. Um, but certainly the fact that um, there's money tied to it there that Cam's going to be owed, you know, they could certainly come to some sort of a, an agreement to pay out the money anyway and let him retire or something like that. That's certainly something you could have in the works and just, you know, have it massaged that way instead of having to do the technical aspects of PUP lists and holding around for a year and all those sorts of things. You can kind of w- find a way to make it work. But um, certainly that, that that's a cost that they're going to have to carry for the time being. I, I don't know exactly what the dollar amount is. I know he was guaranteed $12 million in case of injury uh, when he signed his deal last August. Exactly how that gets paid out, I'm not exactly sure because I haven't seen the contract. But, um, yeah, it's certainly it's something that's going to be a part of the conversation. And, look, there's a reason they went and re-signed Bradley McDougal to a multi-year deal. You know, th- again, like yeah. I said, this was not something that was catching them by surprise. No, that's that's definitely it's not going to catch him by surprise. I, I wonder going forward to talk about these guys that are going to have to step in now. Uh, you talked about McDougal, who had a really good season last year, but guys like Delano Hill and and uh, Tedrick Thompson and these guys that are going to step in. You know, I think people forget that when Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman came to the Seahawks, you know, these guys were later draft picks. Uh, Sherman was, you know, a fifth round pick. Chancellor was a fifth round pick. The only one that was a giant name coming out was Earl Thomas, who was a, you know, a top 10 pick, first round pick out of Texas. But they weren't that well known when they came out. My question is can these guys that they have been lining up knowing this day was inevitable be those kind of players? And I realize a guy that, like Chancellor, an unbelievable tackler and hitter doesn't come along every day Richard Sherman's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame as well but can they be guys that they can win with consistently and be you know better than average defensive backs going forward do you see that in this young group that they're going to have to play now I I think it's too early to say because we haven't seen any of them play 
any significant time in NFL games to this point. Um, I mean, I, I know that there's, you know, optimism that Delano Hill can be something for him. Tedrick Thompson, we just really don't know much about at all. He was inactive for a good chunk of last season outside of playing a little bit special teams role later on in the year when guys started to get hurt. Um, you know, certainly McDougald is a little is definitely a proven piece that can swing to either one of the spots there, and you can feel relatively competent with the cornerback spot. I think they can feel more comfortable with because you saw that that threesome play out a good chunk of last season where you had Shaquille Griffin, Byron Maxwell, and Justin Coleman holding down reasonably well. Um, that that safety position is going to be a little bit more up in the air uh, because we haven't seen Delano Hill. We haven't seen Tedrick Thompson. They did go out and sign Maurice Alexander, who's played some time with the Rams over the years, to, to add some veteran depth to that group as well. So um, I, I think that's gonna, that, that and defensive end are going to be two positions to certainly watch once we get training camp started. Let's speculate, and I don't know this is going to happen. None of us know what's going to happen with Earl, but let's say Earl moves on. They make a deal with some team to trade him. Who starts at free safety and who starts at strong safety uh, on opening day for the Seahawks if that if that were to happen, in your opinion? My, my hunch would be Bradley McDougald would be the free safety with Delano Hill at strong safety, and that would be the two some they'd run out there. And I know they think uh, they think Hill's a big tackler. You know, obviously not the hitter that Cam is, but they think he's a big time tackler. Can play kind of that that safety in the box kind of role, right? I, I, he is definitely a strong safety. Yes, yeah. no question. I, I don't think he's quite the same mold as Cam Chancellor because few are. But he can. That's certainly the uh, the role that he would slot into and the kind of uh, skill set that they saw in him when he was at Michigan. Definitely. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that going forward. Obviously, Earl Thomas still is the unknown here. The What's going to happen? Is he staying? Will they give him a new deal? Will he be disgruntled? Will he go elsewhere? No, no one knows, and I've talked to you about this before. It's just impossible to say at this point. So, you know, we just got to look going forward. But, you know, uh, Cam, moving on, it's it's a difficult thing for them because he's just such a well-liked guy what is your what's your most memorable you know we're asking people on twitter and on the text line to what's their most memorable moment their favorite moment of cam what what is the one player one incident that you remember the most of his career well there was four or five that immediately came to mind but the the, the one that's the top of the list was probably this shot on vernon davis that i think comes to everybody's forefront when you think of, yeah. of cam chancellor uh, particularly when you go to the heat of that rivalry and how physical those games were, that hit was it, it embodied everything that that rivalry was at the time. But you have um, you have that play, you have him jumping over the line of scrimmage to block a field goal against Carolina. You have him having a pick six against Carolina. You have uh, him blowing up Eric Winston when he was a pulling pulling offensive lineman playing for Arizona at one point in time, punching the ball free from Calvin Johnson right. for the goal line against Detroit. Uh, you know, there's a there's a big number of plays you can pull back to uh, the hit on Demarius Thomas in the Super Bowl, and you know, as I was discussing with a guy on Twitter last night um, who works for ESPN, uh, there was a play later on in that Super Bowl where he came off his coverage guy initially to hit Wells Welker on a crosser and do, it dislodged the ball from him in the third quarter, I think it was. Right, right. It was maybe the most impressive play that I've seen him make just for a guy his size to turn and get, you know, change directions that quickly and break up a pass like that 
on the biggest stage. So there's, there's a handful of plays from Cam Chancellor's career that are indelible, and those are the ones that come to mind for me. Yeah, and you and I both know what a great guy he is off the field. There's a, I, I got one uh, tweet here from Kim Grenells of Dogman.com that I really like where he said, my favorite was watching him serve Thanksgiving dinners to those who needed help. Uh, he was as good off the field as on it, maybe better. And I, I think that's what we remember about him uh, without a doubt. Do you foresee them – I have no idea if he wants to go into coaching, what he wants to do in the future. Do you foresee him possibly them f- trying to find a role for him here where he can continue to be part of the organization? Potentially. Um, I mean, I don't know how it would play. I, I don't know what his aspirations are, but certainly the fact he's got a wealth of football knowledge that he could pull from, and if that's something he he would want to do, I'm sure uh, he could fit in on a staff like the Seahawks at some point in time. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that would be overnight. Immediately he jumps straight into the staff or anything like that. But at some point down the road, could it be a possibility? Yeah, I think it's, it, it could be. Now, again, you're asking me to get in, in Cam's head and what he wants to do. I've got no idea on that front. So we're all talking hypotheticals. Exactly. By the way, you're right in our little poll here on Twitter, my little poll here on Twitter, running away with it is the hit on Vernon Davis. 64% of the voters, over 300 votes so far, said that was their favorite Cam moment. Uh, way more than uh, the Super Bowl hit on Thomas, which is only 22%. So that's the one people seem to remember the most let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, the amazing mariners as i call them you and i were both out there yesterday another fantastic pitching performance paxton was amazing you know what i remember the most about that he obviously had eight shutout innings struck out 11 only gave up two hits but his last pitch of the eighth inning his 110th pitch of that game was clocked at 99 miles an hour I mean, that's just unbelievable. I mean, what is it about him that you think has brought him to another level? Uh, mentality, more so than anything else. I think he was so worried early in his career about being perfect and making sure the pitches were all on the corners and everything like that. And it took you know a myriad of people telling him, dude, you throw 100 miles an hour. You don't need to paint the corners. Just throw it. You know, you've got the stuff. Like, and, and, you know, finally that kind of sunk in, and he had some success with it, and it finally started to come around, and he started to believe, understand how good his stuff is. And so, you know, it's a, it's a number of things, but fi- finding that mentality and trusting what you have in your arsenal and all of that is a big part of him being uh, the pitcher that he's been able to become here. I like how Scott Service said after the game about that. He said, you know what? He just went out there and emptied the tank. He, he just let it fly, let it rip. He said, okay, boys, here's old number one. Hit it if you can. Here it comes. And, he, and they couldn't. And uh, but he also had an amazing what he calls a cutter. I know it's a big controversy. Whereas whether it's a cutter or a slider, the point is no one can hit it when he's when he has the kind of control he had yesterday. That pitch has been a big factor for him going forward, don't you think? Oh, certainly. I mean, it's it's a pitch that he he had working really well all all throughout last season. And I think the reason he calls it a cutter more so than anything is a thought process of how he wants to hit it, uh, how he wants to throw it. And I think that's it's just so, sort of a mental sort of check for him. It's slider action, and that's why Scott Service has said repeatedly, <laughs> "Oh, it's a slide. It was a slider." We didn't have cutters day. in my day. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like, you know, Mariano Rivera threw a cutter, 
this isn't a cutter. But, you know, I think that's why Paxton refers to it as such because of the way he throws. I think it's just a way he wants to think about th- how, how the pitch is thrown to where it allows him to execute it the right way. So call it whatever you want. It's effective. It goes back to the uh, the line from, you know, one of the major league movies where they're t- debating it is who gives a bleep? It's gone. No, that's like, it doesn't matter what right. you call it. it that's works. like Zanino said. He says, man, I don't care what he calls it. It's just when I call it, I know that thing is going to get some people out. <laughs> <laughs> Call it whatever he exactly. wants to call it. So let's talk about the other amazing pitcher uh, right now, and that is Edwin Diaz. I mean, the stats, Curtis, are unbelievable. I read this earlier on the show. He is now one of only two pitchers in Major League history to have at least 30 saves and 70 strikeouts before the All-Star break. The only other pitcher to ever do that was Eric Gagne when he was with the Dodgers. I mean... <laughs> His stats are incredible. He's twenty. They're twenty-two and zero when he comes into the game with a one-run lead. They are forty and zero this season when he enters the game with the lead. That's these stats are staggering, absolutely staggering. Could anyone have? I mean, he was obviously he was pretty good last year, but unbelievable. What is it about him this season that has made him all but untouchable? Well, I think he's figured out how to pitch when he doesn't have one of his pitches. Um, you know, there's, there was times last year where he couldn't command a fastball and therefore, you know, his opponents could sit on his slider and wait for one to be in the zone uh, and do something with it. And I think he's found a way to manage it to where, one, he doesn't have a great feel for the fastball or for the slider. He's found a way to work around it. And you look at his splits from last year, he was doing every bit of this, for the most part, last year on the road. It was the games at yeah, home, at home where, where he was a little bit str- more, he had more struggles for sure. And so now he's just been able to harness it home and away, figure out how to handle both of those pitches when, when one might not quite be working the way he wants. And then obviously when they both are working the way that he wants, he's almost impossible to touch. So um, that, that's kind of where he's gotten to where he is right now. Is there any concern for you, and I know Scott talked about this a little bit a couple of days ago, that he's been used so much that when we get into late August and into the grind in September, especially if they're still in the hunt with the Astros, that he might uh, get tired? Uh, and do you think they're they're preparing for that? I, I'm sure they would like to give him a couple more days off from time to time, and that's why you know you have an Alex Colome on the roster and, and a Juan Nicasio to give them those sort of spells when he might need it. Um, if that if that comes along, and certainly you know. You get Robinson Cano back in mid-August. Maybe you're not playing so many one-run games at that <laughs> yeah. point in time. You find a way to not have to be in so many safe situations, which could, which could certainly benefit on that front too. Um, but sir, I, I'm sure it's a concern. He's also a really young arm, and you would expect that if any point of his career he'd be able to hold up through it. It might be right now. So I know you probably I know what you're probably going to answer to this because you just want me to see me cut a symbol in the side of my head. But uh, do you think realistically the Mariners at this point have a shot to catch the Astros to win the division title? I think they do, um, and that's not saying that they they will or anything like that or that I expect it. But I think they do have a chance. They are basically halfway into the season right now and are what a half game back of the Astros. Yeah. Uh, the Astros certainly have a more uh, accomplished starting pitching rotation right now, but the Astros have not had the offensive success, even despite their incredible run differential. It's not been as smooth as uh, they would have liked it to be, and they've had struggles in the bullpen throughout uh, the season too. Um, 
So, I mean, they did just lose, what, three or four to Tampa? Is that right over the weekend? So they have shown that they can falter from time to time. And so the door is still ajar for the Mariners to do something with it. And the fact that they were able to come back from their first kind of rough stretch of the season on that road trip to Boston and New York and come back and win the next seven games that they played, even if it is against Baltimore and Kansas City, that's a pretty good sign of what this team's capable of doing and how quick they're able to flush uh, a little bit of a poor rut and and continue to push forward. So uh, will they have a chance to? Yeah, I think they do have a chance. It's still, but it's a long way to go before uh, we'll know for sure what that uh, picture is going to look like uh, heading into September. Going to be fun to see. They still have 13 games with the Astros and and those are just going to be, wow, I just can't wait. So Curtis, thanks for joining us. Great stuff as always. We'll talk to you later in the week and I'll see you on Saturday. Thanks, buddy. All right. See you, Terry. That's Curtis Crabtree. Listen, we've got some great stuff coming up. Continue to send us your text on whether you think LeBron James will win a championship with the Lakers. Why or why not? Send it to the Heritage Distilling text line at 49451. We've got some great stuff coming up. We've got PJ Carlissimo in the next hour with lunch with listeners. And when we come back, though, we're going to have an update on the World Cup and the Sounders. Stick with us on Sports Radio 950 KJR. Seattle sports and the greatest fans in the world on Seattle's original diehard sports station sports radio 950 KJR now back to bucket and the gas man Hey everybody, Terry Blunt here with Jackson Feltz in for Jason Puckett, who's on vacation for July 4th week. I hope you have some great July 4th plans this week. I'll be in all week with Jackson, except for Wednesday when we're both working elsewhere, unfortunately. But uh, it's going to be a fun week. We want to do, uh, first of all, I want to do just a tiny bit of Seahawks news here. Ian Rappaport just uh, tweeted that former Seahawks guard J.R. Sweezy is in town today at the Seahawks facility talking about whether or not he might come back. He's getting a physical today. Very interesting stuff there. Uh, Sweezy, by the way, may be the most successful convert, as you might call it, of the Tom Cable era of a guy who was a defensive lineman. He moved to the offense, was a really good guard for them. Uh, he was signed as a free agent uh, with Tampa, had some injury situations, bad back, broke his leg, and now they cut him, and now he's released. The only thing about Sweezy is he he doesn't seem to actually fit the direction they're going because he's only about 295 pounds, only 295 pounds, that sounds silly, but where they have giant linemen now like Fluker, who's 340 pounds, so is he going to fit the more right-in-your-face kind of straight-up blocking that they're going to do with Mike Solari more than the zone blocking that they did under Cable, which Sweezy is very, very good at. Still, he's a veteran guard. He knows uh, the coaches, and uh, for the most part, obviously, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if they brought him back. I mean, Terry, this is a a guy who came out of North North Carolina State as a defensive line product. I mean, right. with a team that needs defensive ends right now, I, I think it, it's only yeah, they can move it. They move it back. Move him That's back. Right, there you go. Yeah. Hey, how about moving back and playing defensive gone. end for Switch us? Switch him back. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Maybe that's their thought process. <laughs> anyway, Jr's in town. We'll see if they end up signing him or not. That would be interesting to see him come back to give him some depth on the defensive line. Okay, let's go to World Cup and Sounders since we have our own resident expert here in Jackson Feltz. Right now in the uh, in the game that's going on, I don't believe there's any score. Is it just there just hit halftime, 0-0. Yeah, still still nil-nil there. Uh, the teams that are in so far are Uruguay, France, Russia, Croatia, and Brazil. Tomorrow, 
England faces Colombia, and Switzerland faces Sweden. So, uh, boy, I, you know, like we say, I don't, I don't know that there's a clear-cut uh, situation in any of these matches. There's not. We look at the teams who are right now into those uh, quarterfinals, and it's just you have uh, you have Neymar's in there as the big name, but Ronaldo gone with Portugal, Messi gone with Argentina, Germany was out in the group stage. It's a very weird World Cup. Now, if, uh, refresh my memory. Who's the who's the guy with England that had the hat trick? Harry Kane. Harry Kane. From yeah, Tottenham yeah. Hotspur. So uh, see what he can. do. Do for England if they uh, mm-hmm. can get by Colombia. Sweden played really well in their last game against Mexico. Gustav so, Svensson uh, playing for Sweden with the Seattle Sounders as well. Oh, so. Yeah, interesting to see what happens there. Should be fun to watch. Now let's talk a little about the Sounders. We didn't talk a lot in the last segment about their new acquisition, uh, Raul Rudiez. Now, one thing I've noticed about him. He is tiny. Yeah. He is 5'7", 145. If yeah. Shakespeare will allow me to change his famous Midsummer Night's Dream quote a little bit, though he be but little, he is fierce. He is very fierce. <laughs> he, he is a talented scorer. 20 goals each of the last two seasons in a league better than MLS, Liga MX. Uh, he's a proven scorer, and he he's just really, really good on the ball. Uh, Garth Lagerway and Chris Henderson, Brian Schmitzer all talked about him on Friday at the press conference while I was out. out. I wasn't even here for the show. I went down there to cover the press conference, and he's going to be the perfect player for this Sounders team right now, the guy that they absolutely need because they have a problem scoring goals, if you haven't noticed, Terry. <laughs> Every single yeah. week we talk about the problem to score goals. This is a proven goal scorer. He's 5'7", but sometimes that works well when you can add him if Brian Spencer changes the formation to a larger Will Bruin up top and you have one big guy and one small guy there at forward. That could really benefit a team right now in dire need of some creativity. He seems like, for lack of a, a better comparison, he seems like he could be kind of the D. Gordon kind of guy. For yeah. Being, the Spark Club kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. He's really quick, makes things happen, just, uh, you know, has... It's a D. Gordon ha- that hits home runs. There you go. This has, <laughs> has the defense on the run, you know, all the time, that kind of a guy and that spark that they need that they haven't had. Uh, I wanted to ask you, and Al, Al Stephen Fry was out for the game, and I wanted to ask you, did they miss him? Did it make a difference? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Stephen Fry, who's uh, last we heard, still in MLS concussion protocol, so we don't know about his availability on on Wednesday for Colorado. Uh, that match will be at 6 p.m. here on KJR. But but Brian Meredith stepped in. He's been a backup goalkeeper for Seattle for for a while. He had this is his second stint with Seattle, actually. And I would say it made a little bit of a difference, but not huge in the sense of the three goals that Portland scored on Seattle. I don't think anyone you can look at Brian Meredith as the reason why they were scored. Yeah. The first, the both headers that were scored by Mabiala, I would actually put on Chad Marshall, the guy who scored for Seattle. At the right. end of the day, Marshall just got outworked by Mabiala both times. The first time he 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 got he Mabiala lost Marshall. He he was able to slip slip behind him and get a wide open header. And then the second time, he just frankly went up against Marshall and and beat him physically in the air. And then the other goal was was probably on Waylon Francis, uh, the 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 fullback for Seattle, just letting a counterattack get by him and have a pretty much a wide open two v one chance for Portland. So I, I, Meredith was fine in my eyes. He came up with a huge save in the first half and had some nice punches, but I wouldn't say he's the reason the Sounders lost. Who do you think is the best team in the MLS right now? That is a very, very difficult question to answer. I I would say... 
The New York Red Bulls are a team who's coming on. I think they just moved into second place. Toronto, which was the what we were calling last year when they won the championship, the best team ever in MLS. Yeah. And it's funny because they have just taken a complete nosedive right now so far this season. Well, we know it, the feeling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for them, it's a, it's a little bit even more so because they are also second to last place in, in the Eastern Conference. They've had some injuries to deal with. But at the same time, they're a much much deeper and much better soccer club than the Sounders in terms of just the way they've built their team. So that's shocking. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm going to say Atlanta is the best club in MLS right now. They have the most points. They're leaders in the supporter shield. They have probably the best attack. They've just completely... Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, has just thrown every dollar he, he wants at Atlanta United, mm-hmm. saying, whatever player you need, <laughs> what size we'll check do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so, Atlanta United's probably there at the top right now. New York Red Bulls are, are surprising some people. On the Western side, it, it's there's really no clear-cut person on, on the Western side, and that's what is keeping Seattle alive there. There isn't mm-hmm. really a lot of great teams in the West, so if a, you have a couple teams that fall off here, that would give an opening for Seattle if they go on a run to make the playoffs as like a 5 or 6 seed. How many uh, hairs has Brian Schmetzer lost off his head this season? How difficult <laughs> off, yeah. How difficult has this been for him? I mean, yeah. I've been out there a few times when he was really frustrated. And again, you know, this is a guy that's used to, you know, winning. How tough has it been for him? You yeah, think? they've never missed the postseason. Think about that. This yeah. club was first year was 2009. They've never missed the playoffs. This has definitely taken a hit on, on Schmetzer. Uh, Matt Pence, who's going to join me tomorrow on Sounders Weekly here at 7 p.m. here on KJR, wrote a great article where he sat down with Schmetzer at uh, at a bar in, in Roosevelt, I want to say, <laughs> and they just were, were talking soccer during a couple World Cup games. He talked to Schmetzer about his future, and you could tell from some of the answers in Schmetzer's, in, in uh, Pence's article for The Athletic that it it is taking a little bit of a toll here on 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 Brian just personally you you can tell that this is this is pretty tough for him to take and and watch a for really for the first time a team have this long of a lull. I mean, even last season and 2016, where they weren't in a great spot before Nico Ladero came in and before Schmetzer took over as interim head coach and then eventually got hired on as the full-time head coach, that season felt a little bit different to this season, which has just at many times felt hopeless. Yeah, That that there's nothing that this team can do. And maybe Rui Diaz will change things, and I, I have hope that it will. But th- there has been more hopelessness now, and or I should say in this season, than than then and ever before. Well, let's hope it turns around and he makes a big difference in, in going forward. Hey, stick with us. we got an hour to go here. When we come back, we'll have lunch with listeners. Keep your texts coming in, by the way, on why you think Paul George stayed with Oklahoma City. Let us know if you think LeBron James is going to win a title with the Lakers. Why or why not? Other thoughts on NBA free agency. We'll have P.J. Carlissimo with us at 1220. Stick with us on Sports Radio 950 KJR.